0: Well, we are wrapping up our series, Promises, today. Man, I've enjoyed uh, preparing for this series and sharing it with you guys so much. Has this been, like, helpful to you? Have you guys enjoyed this series, Promises? I certainly hope so. I want to thank Witty for stepping in these last two weeks and giving another incredible perspective on what we're talking about. Uh, but maybe for my sake more than yours, if you've been here during most of the weeks, I want us to uh, to get caught back up so we've rooted this series in 2 Peter. 2 Peter's in the New Testament of the Bible, and Peter was writing a letter to a group of Christians, people who had believed, who had put their faith in Jesus. And he says in 2 Peter chapter 1 uh, that Jesus has given us very great and precious promises. And this is really good news for us because the reason that we're doing this series at all is that A part of our human nature is we all have this deep desire, we have this inner longing for significance. We want our lives to matter, but we don't always know how to accomplish it and how to live a significant life, and it's complicated by all of these promises that the world throws at us that seem to be the pathway to significance. And if you can just lose this amount of weight or wear a certain kind of clothing, or if you can look this way or have this many followers on social media if you can have a little bit more money or popularity, then you'll finally live the significant life that you're longing for. But if you've lived long enough and you've gone down enough of those roads and bet your life on the significance of the promises of the world, ultimately what we find is those promises feel short of really taking care of this desire for significance. And so Peter says that Jesus has given us great and precious promises. And this is good news, especially for those of us who have believed in Jesus, because what it means is we have another option. We have another set of promises from Jesus that we can consider betting the significance of our lives on. And he doesn't just talk to us about these promises. He then lays out kind of a roadmap. For how we can achieve this life of significance. And so he says, for this very reason, because of these promises, make every effort to add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self control and to self control perseverance, to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly affection and to brotherly affection. Love. Now, that's a lot, and so what we've done, if you've been here, is we've been going through this list and breaking it down week by week. And so if you look, if y'all put the list up on the screen, if you look intently at the words that Peter is using, what you'll notice almost right away is that these aren't words about actions that we do. It's not about what we do. It's not about performance, And what we have found throughout this series is that that can be kind of uncomfortable because we live in a performance-based world. And so we want to go out and earn the life of promise, earn the life of significance based on our own performance. But Peter doesn't use performance-based words. These are all words that talk about our inner life. This is who we are on the inside, and so we've called this a list of postures. And your posture is about your frame of mind. It's about your attitudes and your emotions and your beliefs. It's your inner decisions about how you're going to live your outer life. Peter is saying that it isn't performance that gets us to these promises, but that your posture unleashes the power of God's promises. And so to help us continue to learn how to achieve this life of significance that we were all created for, we're coming to the end of our list today where we're going to be looking at brotherly affection and love. And now I'm caught up. Thank you all for letting me get caught up with y'all. Are y'all ready to actually get started? Yes. All right. Brotherly affection and love. We get to the end of our list and uh, we realize that the last postures are all about relationship, a posture of love and brotherly affection, all about relationship. Now, you may find it uh, interesting that as one of your pastors, this is Really, one of my weak spots in my life. And, you know, sometimes I think what happens out in the world is that we have this tendency to think that, you know, your pastor kind of has it all together. And what makes City Church so special as we go into celebrating our 25th anniversary is that we're not here preaching at you or teaching to you. We're here learning with you. And I want you to apply these things to your life because I'm trying to apply them to my own. And, People who are close to me, people who who work with me or friends or some of my family, have let me know very gently throughout my life that a lot of times I can miss out on posturing myself for love and experiencing these deep, meaningful relationships. And they've told me it's because I tend to get too intense. Now, I've come to terms with my intensity. And I want you to know before we go any further, I'm not always an intense person. For example, when I'm sleeping, right, I'm very, very peaceful sleeper. Right? I can fall asleep. When I'm with my kids, and when I'm with Katie at home, I can be a very relaxed person. Like one Margarita in, like one Margarita Clayton is super chill, all right? Um, the weird thing is two Margarita Clayton gets super intense again, so I'm not sure exactly what's up with that. But I've come to terms with my intensity, and it, it can be a strength, but it also turns into a weakness, and so, Uh, You know, when someone faces like a challenge or when there's something that seems impossible or especially if someone says that something can't be done, I can flip a switch and put my head down and just drive and drive until I try to achieve the results that I'm going for. The problem, though, is that in the midst of that intensity, I can run people over, even people that I really care about. And this has been a part of my story for a long time, and it's one of the reasons that I can look back on things in my life that were achievements and that should be part of success of my story, and they seem very insignificant because while I was achieving and while I was driving and in my intensity, I was worried so much about performance that I didn't posture myself for meaningful relationships. And at the end of the day, I mean, what could be more important than the love that we share between ourselves? And the people around us. I love the way that the Apostle Paul put it in a letter that he wrote to a church in a book we call First Corinthians. He said, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. Now, Paul was a preacher and he's saying, Listen, I could be the greatest preacher in the world, but if I don't have love in my heart for the people that I'm preaching to, I'm just making noise. He said, If I have the gift of prophecy and know all the mysteries and I have all the knowledge, and if I have Faith enough to move the mountains, but I don't have love, then I am nothing. If I give all that I have to the poor and I give over my body to hardship, if I perform as a Christian but I do not have love, then I gain nothing. And so if we put it in our context, if we win every championship and we earn every award and we make millions of dollars and we become the CEO of our company and we get the guy or the girl of our dreams and we hit the gym every day and we finally get the body that we have wanted. If all of your peers look up to you and all of your family envies you and your kids excel in their sports and in their school, if you have millions of followers on social media, if you check every box of every promise that the world offers you to achieve a life of significance, but you don't have love, then you have nothing. And so when it comes to our series, we've spent the last five weeks digging into this list of postures and seeing how we can apply them to our life, but there's a reason that the list ends with love because you could have faith and virtue and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness. You could have the whole list, but if you don't add love, then you will shortchange the power of God's promises in your life and what he so desperately wants to do with you. Because if you think about it, what good is winning every championship if you have no one to celebrate with? What good is making tons of money if it comes at the price of your own loneliness? What good is it for your children to excel in everything they do if you push them so hard that they resent you later in life? What good are all of your sexual conquests if it just brings more and more baggage into the love of your marriage relationship later in life? You see, it's so easy for us to get caught in performance-based thinking because it's all around us, but if we miss out posturing ourselves for love, if we miss out on deep, meaningful relationships along. Along the way, then it won't lead us to the life of significance we so deeply desire. And in the end, all our success and all our accomplishments, Paul says, will be worth nothing. And while Jesus was on earth, he made this point very clear. One day he was having a conversation and people were coming to him and asking him questions and he was giving these amazing answers. And so we're going to look at a very brief conversation that's very important to our topic Today. One day a religious leader came up to Jesus, and in Mark chapter 12, it says that one of these scribes approached and he asked Jesus, which command is the most important of all of the commands. Now, if you remember, Jesus was a Jew, and the Jews have what is called the Torah. And the Torah is a list of 613 commandments, 613 commandments. laid out every part of their life, religious, civil, social, business, relationships, what to eat, what to wear, everything. And this religious leader wanted to know out of these 613 commandments, which one of them is the most important? And Jesus answered and said, the most important is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul, all of your mind and all of your strength. And the second is to love your neighbor As yourself, there is no command greater than these. Now, Jesus' response is significant for a couple of reasons that are very important as we're trying to wrap up our series today. First, the Torah was a book of performance. told you what to do and when to do it and exactly how it should be done. And Jesus says that the most important thing you can do in your life is an internal decision to love God and to love the people around you. Jesus was challenging the performance-based system that the Jews had followed for generations and generations. And he challenged it with a simple command to take on a posture of love. He was saying that, all the ways that we try to plan out our life and all the blueprints that we've made for how we're gonna perform our way into a significant existence are nothing if we do not posture ourselves with love. And here's the second incredible thing about Jesus's answer. If you remember, the scribe asked a singular question. He said, what is the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus answered very clearly with two different commands. And so there's a little bit of a cultural gap here. We're living about 2,000 years later than when this conversation took place. It took place in an eastern country with an eastern worldview, and we live with a very western worldview. And so let me break down what Jesus was doing, because his answer was more than adequate. Jesus said that the most important command is to love God and to love people. And by answering a singular question with a double-pronged response, what Jesus was doing was intentionally showing equality. Jesus was making a statement that loving God is actually as important as loving the people around you. Now, to us, 2,000 years later, this is not really a big deal. Yeah, Love God and love people. We're down with that. Sounds like a great idea. But back then, if you were a Jew listening to Jesus, this was blasphemy. Nothing came anywhere close in importance to loving God. This would be like saying someone here in San Antonio could root for the Spurs and the Warriors to win the Western Conference finals. It just can't be done. They didn't go together. But Jesus switched it up. He said that not only is loving God as important as loving the people around you throughout his time on earth, Jesus showed that your love for God is actually measured by how well you love the people that God has placed you on earth with. Jesus taught that your vertical relationship between you and God can only be as powerful as your horizontal relationship with the people around you. And so listen, as we're trying to find out how to unleash the power of God's promises in your life, Jesus shows us the greatest commandment. Love God and love people. He's giving you your purpose. You were placed on earth to love. If you make money along the way or somehow you get a certain level of fame or popularity or you find the person of your dreams and you have children and you start a family, those things are all great. We want those things for you, but they are secondary to your purpose. If you want to unleash the promises of God in full force in your life, then it starts by posturing yourself with crazy, audacious, culture-defining love for the people around you. Because when your faith begins to show itself in love to the marginalized in your city, to the hurting and the broken and the addicted and the suicidal, to the people that no one else cares enough to go and love, then you will find yourself in the center of God's purpose for your life. You will begin to understand the significance that God has placed in your life, that he created you for a unique purpose. That your life really does matter and you'll understand why all of the promises of the world have fallen so short. Because it doesn't start with your performance, it starts with your posture. A posture of love unleashes the power of God's promises in your life in a way that nothing else can. And so as we begin to come to the end of this series, I wanna take a moment and do a couple of things with you guys first. I wanna just share kind of the big picture view because we've been basing everything out of this letter that Peter wrote 2000 years ago where Peter said that God has given us great and precious promises and he's challenged us to posture ourselves to unleash the power of those promises in our life but we've learned from the beginning that these promises are future promises. They're promises of a perfect life and a perfect body someday on a new perfect world when this life is over. But none of us want to wait until we die to live a significant life. And so the amazing thing is that Peter shows us how we can live in the power of our future promises today. And that can be hard to understand. And so whether or not you're a parent, I think that this is an illustration uh, that everyone will be able to follow And so anyone who has kids, uh, do your kids ever struggle to do the right thing, to make the the right choices, to get their homework finished, to clean their rooms on time? We're going to do a series on lying next because I've met some of your kids, all right? (laughs) Yes, man, sometimes it's hard. It's hard to get our kids to follow the rules. And one of my kids is in here today, and you know that sometimes it's hard. I remember when my kids were younger. I knew the exact reward that could help my kids along. Sometimes throwing a reward in the mix can make all of the difference. And in my house, all I had to do was to show up and say, here's the deal. When all these rooms are clean, we'll go get Froyo." Throwing frozen yogurt into the mix in my family led to miracles happening. (laughs) And the room that had taken 16 hours to clean one third of it all of the sudden was cleaned instantly. My kids would turn into a NASCAR pit crew and there was assembly lines and people were sprinting back and forth from room to room. But here's the deal. Think about it because you've experienced this. But really think about what happens. Because in that moment, they still do not have any fro-yo. They have not tasted their reward yet. Nothing in their circumstance has actually changed externally, but their posture has changed because they know a promise is coming. And when you know that a promise is coming, and you can count on it, All of a sudden, they can have the self-control to clean the room instead of watch TV. All of a sudden, they find the motivation. Now they have the virtue to scrub out the Kool-Aid stain that's been in for three and a half months because they know that the promise of the Froyo is coming. They don't have the promise yet, but they can already begin to live in the power of the future promise, and they posture themselves differently. But here's the thing. My kids trust the promise of the reward because time after time, it's come through. They have experience to go off of to know that when I say a promise is coming, it's coming. And so the question for us to really think about, just to be honest, is what is Peter basing this off of? He's told us that there are future promises coming, but Peter hasn't died yet. How do we really know that if we posture ourselves, we have something coming on the other side? What experience is he relying on to be so confident that we should change how we're thinking about and living our life and not do performance-based anymore and posture ourselves differently? Where is he coming from with this? And in 2 Peter, if you read a little further down, it gives us a clue. In 2 Peter 1 verse 16, it says... For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus in power. We're not making this up. This isn't a fairy tale. For we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son who I love and who I am well pleased. And we ourselves, me, Peter, We heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And so what is Peter talking about? Well, if you go back into the gospel accounts, we'll go back into Mark's gospel account where Mark wrote about the life of Jesus. We learn about an event that happened while Jesus was still on earth. In Mark 9, it says after six days, Jesus took Peter our guy, James and John with him. And he led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. And there Jesus was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And this is what theologians call, and this is what we call in the Bible, the mount of transfiguration. And the word transfigured is where we get our English word for metamorphosis. And what that means is that Jesus didn't just kind of start glowing a little bit. The sun didn't hit him at the right angle all of a sudden. What this means is it was a complete change, like a caterpillar to a butterfly or a tadpole to a frog Peter experienced the full glory and the full divinity of Jesus on the mountain that day. And if that wasn't enough, God came in a cloud and he audibly heard the voice of God himself. Do you understand what this means? It means that Peter got a glimpse of heaven right here on earth. Peter got a preview of the promise. Peter got a preview of the promise that is to come and it changed his life forever. And as he stood there in the glory of God himself, it must have hit him. There's no way I can earn this. All of my highest performance would never even get me off of the ground. He knew that it would take posturing himself, not about what he can do, but about who he is on the inside to allow himself to walk powerfully in the coming promise of God it's no longer about your performance it's about your posture and you know I struggle with relationships sometimes and my intensity gets in my way and I and I mess things up pretty often but I do want you to know that when I came here to City Church I'd been here for about six months and I woke up in the middle of the night one night with the weight of you on my heart And God supernaturally imposed in me a deep, deep love for the people who come here and who make up City Church. And the reason that I've been up here and that we're doing this series is because I want you to experience the promises of God. I want you to walk powerfully in those promises, not at the end of your life, but starting today. And I've tried to bank it on my own performance enough times. I know it doesn't work, and I'm guessing that you know it too. It's time to try something different, to posture yourself in these ways that Peter is saying, and just see what God can do in your life. Because when you live that way, when you posture yourself with virtue and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly affection and love, You will see miracles happen in your life. You will see families reunited. You'll see relationships healed. You'll see hope come in into hopeless situations. You'll see addictions overcome. And when that begins to happen, you get a glimpse of heaven on earth. You get your own preview of the promise. And when you get a preview of the promise, it will change your life. And more and more you will begin to posture yourself because you will want so badly to experience it again and again. And I know this because I've seen it. And in the six weeks of this series, my life has literally and radically changed. I know it because I've seen a miracle. You guys uh, who have been here know that About two years ago, Katie and I, uh, we started the adoption process. And we were adopting overseas from a third world country. Uh, And we're about two years into this process, but the day we signed up, man, we were on cloud nine and we were so excited and we didn't know who we would get or if it's a boy or a girl or what age, but I said, I know we will get a four-year-old girl. I have two boys. It's time for a girl. We will get a four-year-old girl. And we went through the process, and we're tens of thousands of dollars in, and we've been waiting, and it's gone so slow, and it's been so frustrating. And right before the first week of this series, as I was preparing to get up here and teach about posturing yourself for the power of God's promises, the country we were adopting from shut down indefinitely. And the Department of Homeland Security contacted us and our agency contacted us and our ambassador contacted us and they told us that where we were at in the process that we should start looking at other options and so obviously we were very discouraged and we spent a week very discouraged because here's the deal, performance was done. We have filled out all the papers, and we have paid all the money that we can pay. We've made all the phone calls. It's not about performance anymore. And so Katie and I sat, and we talked about it, and we said, you know what, I'm telling thousands of people every weekend that they should posture themselves for the power of God's promises, and maybe we should do the same. And so we started praying for a miracle. And during the third week of this series, when I was talking about the knowledge of God, I left the stage on that Saturday night, And I had a text message from Katie and she said, you need to call me as soon as possible and that always freaks you out. And so I called her. And this was about a week after we decided to start praying for a miracle. We told God, just give us a child. There are children in need and we don't care where they're from. We don't care who they are, but we're ready if you're ready. And so give us a miracle, God. We can't go through another agency. We don't have any more money. It has to be a miracle. And so I called Katie and I was freaked out and she answered the phone and she said that Her cousin had called her out of the blue, a cousin we don't even really ever talk to. And he said, I can't tell you why it happened. And he's not really, you know, the biggest believer. But he said, I met a family who has a girl that needs to be adopted. And I told him that you guys are the ones who should adopt them. I said, oh, my gosh, well, tell me about this girl. And Katie said, she's a four-year-old, beautiful little girl. And she has. She's lived a really hard life, and she was removed from her parents. And unfortunately, where we're at in the process, I can't show you a picture or even tell you her name. But that night, May the 6th, we decided to go meet her on Wednesday, May the 10th and we spent the day with her on May the 10th, and we brought her home that Sunday, Mother's Day, May 14th. And so every day that I get home from work now, my daughter comes, and she wraps her arms around me, and she says, Daddy, you're home. And every night I tuck her into bed, and I kiss her, and I tell her good night, and she wakes up way earlier than any of us, and she comes, and I see her in the morning, and she's the most beautiful girl, and I know you think that your daughter's the most beautiful girl, but second place isn't that bad. (laughs) Every day, I get a preview of the promise, every day every day I look at a miracle. And I want that for you. I want you to experience God's promises in your life and you might be the only thing in the way. Listen, you can live your life by performance. We tried, man, we couldn't have worked harder in this adoption. And God did in eight days what we couldn't do in two years. It wasn't our performance, it was our posture. And for this reason, for the reason that God wants to do a miracle in your life, and I don't know what it looks like, and I could have never guessed that this was what it was gonna be for us. Whatever that looks like, God wants it. Do whatever it takes, pay any price, make every effort, work as hard as you have to, to add to your faith, your virtue, to stay in the fight. To add to your virtue the knowledge of who God is and that he wants to bless you and that he has a plan even when things seem like they're at their hardest. To have self-control, to not go out on your own, but to do it God's way. To persevere, to have godliness, to love your brothers and sisters and to love the world. And just see what'll happen. Man, I know I can't talk you into doing anything, but please, There was a three week span and my daughter was going to go back into the foster care system. Three weeks. There are miracles waiting. Waiting for a group of people, a movement of God who will get out of their own way, who will posture themselves and see God work miracles in their lives. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for loving us. God, thank you for giving your son to die for us. God, he paid the price of our adoption into your family. And now you've given us the opportunity to live a life more significant than we could ever know or ever imagine. And I pray for every person hearing this talk right now that they will simply posture themselves, that they will see what you can do in their lives. And I ask it all in Jesus' name amen. Listen, there's some incredible opportunities coming up for you guys. Uh, I know, you know, serving opportunities can be hard, and it's hot, and it's summertime, but this summer love thing, and I hope you guys will go out and get more information about that. I hope to see you guys here at our 25th anniversary. Thank y'all for being here for this series. I love y'all. I'll see you soon.